0: Welcome to Sivako Road to Avatar. My name is Sean Alexander and I'll be your guide to the world of Pandora and beyond. To support this show, head on over to www.patreon.com slash avatarpod, where you can become a patron and gain access to exclusive content. Joining me today, I have a very special guest. Uh, Special guest, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hello, my name is Alex. I'm that lazy snail on Instagram.
0: And you're well. First of all, I think the main reason that we should we should talk about is why are you on the podcast? Like, what's your relationship to Avatar?
1: Um. So I'm a really really big avatar cosplayer um avatar cosplay and like specifically navi cosplay is kind of my brand um, it's the the costume that i'm the most well known for and it's also the costume that i probably spend the most time making um and wearing so uh avatars kind of become like my cosplay identity in a sense
0: and it's quite the uh the sort of thing you have to commit to as well i can imagine um but before we get too deeply into it i was gonna ask you how did you actually first get into avatar
1: um so i got into avatar uh when the movie came out in 2009 um i was nine and my dad took me to see it for my birthday uh, in imax 3d which is the way that you have to see it right um and i just loved it like I mean, there's something really magical about Pandora and the way that Pandora can take you to another world. And I really connected with Natiri specifically. Uh, she was one of the first really great female role models, I think, that we saw in that era. That was like those like early, mid-2000s, right? You didn't have a lot of like really strong warrior women on screen. And so I saw her and I was like, that's, that's going to be my favorite character for probably the rest of my life. Um, and so I wanted to dress up as a, as a child, but um, that was kind of vetoed by my parents because I was nine and they kind of look like they're naked. Um, So it's something that kind of stuck with me for a while. And then I always really liked the movie, but it didn't really get super into it again until probably, I want to say 2017, 2018, when I went to uh, Disney World and they have the world of Avatar, right? Mm -hmm. And I went on Flight of Passage, and they do this thing on uh, the ride where, and spoilers for the ride, if people (laughs) listening to this haven't, you know, watched a ride through of it, um, where they match you to, like, an avatar that they've, like, generated. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, I could make a costume of that, and it could be me as an avatar, as Navi. And I did it. And I thought that the costume was so cool and so fun. That I decided to compete with it at a couple different um, competitions uh, after making it and then revamping it. Um, and I won. And it's been the most popular costume that I've had ever. And it's also the costume that I just feel the coolest in. So I kept going with it.
0: And now obviously since then we've now had the release of a whole new movie and a whole lot of other inspiration for you I imagine as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I love telling people that when I wore the costume, because I was wearing it in kind of the lull in between, right, Um, was really when I started wearing the costume a lot. And every time I would go to a convention, I would get people coming up to me and they'd go, do you ever think the second movie is going to come out? Do you really think they're going to make the sequel? And I would always be like, you know, it really doesn't matter, but I always hope they do. And now here we are. I got the new one and I've got my Tsuraya cosplay is up on my Instagram, and my cutie cosplay is up on my Instagram, and I'm currently working on a Loak costume as well.
0: Ooh, that's very exciting. <laughs> and I've got okay. to say, I, I adore it. I think your costumes are incredible. It's so fun to see. And it's also really great to see, uh, you know, like, people really take to cosplay for Avatar as well. I think it gives people a chance to embody these characters in a very unique way, which... You know, it's 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 a big ask to do as well.
1: Yeah, I really love seeing people do their own kind of like what I did, their own Navi, where they they take elements from their own culture or the things that they love about the Navi cultures, um, and make their own characters with it. Especially on TikTok, cause it's a huge thing of people generating and creating their own Navi. Or, um, I actually saw a girl recently who does her own recom, which is really cool. Um, and I I I, I really love that because. It allows people to kind of expand on this huge world that Cameron has given us, right, and build themselves into it in a very unique and wonderful way.
0: Yeah, and I think the world of Avatar is so inviting and makes you want to be a part of it, so being able to find a way to put yourself into it in some way, whether that is to make your own costume and embody it, or or it's creating your own character for that world yeah that's a great way to yeah feel more a part of it
1: yeah it's <laughs> it's definitely my favorite one of my favorite elements of the avatar community is seeing all the people's responses to it in costumes
0: mm. and that's a really good point that we're actually our main topic of today is to talk about the costume design of avatar so this was something that uh, you definitely knew that you wanted to talk about. We sort of, like, were going back and forth and sort of, like, trying to figure out what to talk about. And this seemed like such an obvious thing to discuss because I think it's really underappreciated element of the film. Uh, would you agree on that?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I love telling... So, I have... A lot of friends, but a lot of them um, work in costumes and um, because I got my degree in costume technology, which is like uh, costume production, basically. So I have a degree in how to make costumes. So a lot of my social circles are people who make costumes for a living and they casually watch Avatar. They're not huge fans or anything. Right. They all watch it because they're friends with me. and I love telling them that all of the costumes for the movie were actually made physically, um, before not just in CG, right? But um, Deborah Scott and her team of costume um, people actually built the costumes physically for the movie. And I love seeing my costume friends' faces light up because they're like, oh, that makes it so much cooler that like there's a physical object that you can get your hands on and hold and that you can wear. Um, and I think that that's something that, it's really underappreciated about the movie because obviously we know that it takes a huge amount of manpower to make a movie like Avatar, but Cameron didn't have to have people come in and physically make the costumes for his movies, um, but he did, right? We could have had a situation of like, oh, well, they're all CG anyways, so why do they need physical costumes? But it creates a whole like sub-industry within the movie itself of these costume artisans and allows them to really kind of show their skills and like make art
0: yeah and i think costume design is often sort of underappreciated as an art form itself anyway which is criminal i think costume design is such an interesting element in telling a part of the story and i think a lot of filmmakers the best filmmakers use costume in exciting ways to tell a story And I think Cameron's one of those people.
1: Yeah, I totally think that one of the one of the incredible elements of, especially the Way of Water, I noticed it a lot more in the Way of Water than you even noticed it in the original Avatar. Is how costumes are used to develop characters. Uh, Specifically in the Way of Water, uh, Natam and Natiri are like really good examples of how costume is being used to kind of visually tell us how they're feeling. And you can see people kind of picking up on this um, when you like scrolling through social media and stuff. But there's a couple things I noticed that really stand out to me that I haven't seen people talking about that I'd like to talk about.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Let's go for it. Let's dive in.
1: Yeah. So one thing that Natiri has both in the first movie and also in The Way of Water is she has these really cute little like feathers behind her ear. and she, she, they're really noticeable in the first movie at the very end uh, when Ewa like, hears Jake and ha- and sends all of her creatures to defend um, the Tree of Souls because her hair is kind of pulled back in those scenes. And so you can see these little feathers, but she has them throughout the whole movie. And she also has them in The Way of Water, but they're even less noticeable because she's often wearing her visor or she has like a headband. Um... But this is a very like key element of her character, right? And the feathers are are a callback to um, Seze and other things. They're, they're similar in colors, right? Mm-hmm. And the feathers are talked about in a lot of the books about uh, there's a, in the visual dictionary, there's a note about Loak having a armband that has feathers on it and how feathers are a symbol of being like an omatakaya warrior. But what's interesting is Nateum also has these feathers in the same spot right behind his ear like that so he's kind of dressing up like his mom a little bit and it's telling us of how maybe he has a better relationship with Natiri than he does with Jake as a lot of the way he dresses and behaves kind of mimics her so not only is he doing his hair really similar to her he's you know he's got his hair in those braids and everything which is pretty typical for Ometakaya but also we also know that Ometakaya Men tend to shave the sides of their head, and he doesn't do that, even though he's an adult, right? Which is what we see pretty consistently throughout the movies. Even Jake, now with his locks, has shaved sides. They're just not always visible. Um, And we see it with Locke as well, right? So Locke has the shaved sides, or at least a shaved side, right? Um, And Natam doesn't. So he's clearly kind of mimicking his mom a little bit. But he's also one of the only characters who doesn't transition into wearing reef people clothes. And Natiri is also one of the characters who doesn't transition into wearing Metkina clothes. She wears stuff that is slightly more reef adjacent as the movie progresses, but for the most part, a lot of her stuff is still elements of the forest. So leaves and um, wooden beads, not shells, right? And Natam, actually never wears any new, per se, clothing when he joins the Mekina. He's always wearing stuff that we've seen him in, in the Ometakaia parts of the movie. So it's kind of giving us a little visual storytelling about how he's not adjusting, and he doesn't want to be there. He's He's being a dutiful son, right? He's not causing problems, but he's also still really holding on to his old life right as is Natiri
0: yeah and I think that's really interesting and I think we're obviously going to get a little bit to spoilers here talking about certain moments from the film which is that his during his death scene is that he talks about wanting to go home and I think that's almost a reflection on that to say look yeah this you know as a character he never let go of home and the same way Natiri is quite similar in that well, obviously she has the biggest connection to the forest more than more than anyone else, and I thought it was really interesting that sort of parallel between the tyrian and the am I think that's incredible storytelling I think it's so interesting to see and I think you can see that similarity between Jake and Loak as well in terms of their character, but also I think they do have similar looks
1: <laughs> yeah and i I love that I love the parallels visually that the costumes are giving us between Loak and Jake and Locke is the quickest to adapt, right? Even more so than Jake, like he's he's down with it. <laughs> he gets there, he's like, I found a girlfriend. I got a whale, I got a space whale. Um, I am ready. I never fit in back where I was anyways. And he's also one of the characters that we first see adopt Metcina clothing as well. His uh, necklace uh, changes. He's one of the first ones that has a uh, clothing change. And what's interesting to me about Locke's necklace is that he's still very clearly trying to keep a little bit of his old style right he's still using the claws and the same kind of color scheme but he's very quick to be like no i now have you know the met i can't remember what the book the, the visual dictionary says that it's like a tooth of a skim wing, maybe or or something and originally his first necklace is a ikran claw um but he's definitely like nah I fit in here better and we start to see that with not only like is he tying his hair back but also he's changing his clothes and obviously his story arc revolves around that
0: yeah and I think it's really interesting to see yeah this is sort of the showing of being like yeah look storytelling can be shown through costume as well it doesn't need to be sort of something that's just passed over and I certainly think that there was there is a habit especially films that are cGI heavy not to pay attention to costuming as much because it's something that's just thrown on in post at times and i i, I don't want to rag on marvel too much right now but the uh, you know the sort of reappearing disappearing uh, suits which oh sort yeah of just which is all like nanotech which doesn't have any sort of importance or weight to them because they just appear disappear out of thin air whereas um i remember like early marvel films there's a lot of importance to the costume because it'd be like oh i haven't got my like iron man hasn't got his suit oh i need to go and get my suit or my suit's breaking so i need to sort this out while middle of a fight and i think yeah. that's the importance to what costuming can be in that sense
1: yeah and you can see it in some marvel films i think like doctor strange because their costumes are physical um It also helps the actors a lot. I think, and that's the other thing you kind of see with Avatar, is the actors do get their hands on the costumes, right? Um, And it it really helps them build their character and how their character interacts with the world. Costumes, and in my experience working in costumes, are something that is a bridge between the world you're trying to create and the actor who's trying to create a character, right? Hmm. It's... I've dressed actors for theater I worked um, backstage on dressing actors for productions theater productions right and sometimes it makes all the difference um for them to just be able to put on the costume that their character has and they and I was specifically working on a production of Oresteia and one of the actors was like yeah when I put the robe on he had this like big red velvet robe, he was like, I feel like a scary judge. And I was like, that's, that's what you need, right? Um, and having that, I think it's is helpful because you can see the way that your character exists in their world, right? And Marvel actors sometimes don't have the benefit of that because they're in a blue suit or a green suit or whatever. And I think it kind of does a disservice to not only the film but also to the actor because having that is helpful.
0: You know what? I think you made such a good point there. And talking about theatre, I think the filming process of something like Avatar, The Way of Water, must have felt quite like theatre in terms of what they were doing. There is, you know, minimal staging at times. And it's a lot of, uh, you know, acting in the costume. And I think, yeah, it sort of reminds me, seeing those behind the scenes of when I I did uh, drama back in school, of what f- theatre performances were like. And I think as well, I think when you mention about someone putting on the costume and feeling that power, I think I can see that. And we, we've talked about how we love this costume, and especially this actor. Uh, Cliff Curtis, when he has the Tonawari costume on, in the behind the scenes, he looks so good in it. And he you can tell he enjoys wearing it.
1: Yeah, and he's totally like, I mean, I I I can't speak for him because I am not him. I do follow him on Instagram. And I have seen him talk about it a little bit. But the, the impression that I get is that he put that costume on. He was like, no, I feel powerful. And I feel like a 10-foot tall alien that is riding a giant alligator flying fish thing. And I'm about to absolutely merc some whalers. Like... He totally radiates that energy, and the costume that they created for him totally radiates that energy as well. And having those two things come together in that image not only, I think, helps the CGI artisans create that character in the way that he's going to look and the way that he's going to move, but also helps him embody it when he's acting. And he... Mm. I mean, he's killing it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's Um, killing it.
0: He really is. And I I definitely say to anyone, have a look at those behind the scenes videos. See uh, Cliff Curtis in that costume. And you can always see, like, if you see other behind the scenes interviews with him, there is almost like a switch between the two. And I love it because, yeah, I can tell that he feels that power. And I think that's such a good thing that, uh, you know, Deborah Scott and our team has been able to do in making those actors feel at home in their roles to understand their characters better through the costumes they're wearing.
1: Yeah, and she's doing such a beautiful job of of doing that and also telling a story about not only the characters, but also the space that they're in, the world that they live in, and really bringing us into Pandora with it, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a single costume piece in either of those, either of the Avatar movies that I look at and go, no, that doesn't fit in here. Right. Sometimes I watch movies and I I'll see, and this is something that only I would notice as someone who works in costumes. Right. Um, (laughs) My parents frequently get frustrated with me when we're watching movies and I'm like, that doesn't look right. And they're like, why did you point that out? (laughs) We didn't need to know. Um, But everything in Avatar is so cohesive and it, it feels like it's part of the world And it's hard to achieve that, especially when you're trying to create something like the Navi's clothing, which is something that doesn't, I mean, it kind of exists on Earth, but it's also something extremely unique because, I mean, we don't have those plants, we don't have those creatures, you know, how are you going to replicate something that doesn't exist in a physical space?
0: Yeah, like you're trying to create costumes from a material that in theory doesn't exist. But you've got to use similar materials that we can find, obviously, that do exist, to make it look like that. So, for example, yeah, like those in from the Metcaina clan, they need to have uh, materials in their costume that would come from where they live. They're not going to be covered in the same uh, as the Matakayan, because it would be out of place. At, but I think you'd hit on the head. They feel so real and so lived in. And it feels so appropriate.
1: Yeah. And I think Avatar and especially the costumes walk this really delicate line of, and Cameron's talked about this a little bit too, of it has to be human enough that we believe it, but not so human that it feels like we could find it on earth. Mm. And I think Deb Scott has really just captured that perfectly, especially with Ronal. Ronal's clothing is something that, I mean, you can see the shells, and other things that are on her clothes, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I could find that on the beach. But then there's other things, like the, specifically the shell that is, like, on her headpiece. There's no mollusk on Earth that has a shell that looks quite like that. Or, um, she has these, I think they're shells, but they also kind of look like coral on one of her skirts. And Deb Scott did just post this on her Instagram, so if you're wondering what I'm talking about, you can find it there. Um, they're purple and it's in this, like, grass skirt, and that looks not quite earthly right it it looks like it could be something that's alive maybe a piece of coral but it doesn't look like anything that i've seen before and so she really does walk this line of like it's it's earth but not quite and it's human but it's not quite in a way that really just captures you and you're like oh and as a cosplayer i'm like how can i replicate it and i spend all my time thinking oh well they 3d printed it i can't 3d print it so how am i gonna find you know a seashell that looks like this seashell and then maybe carve it or something to make it look like that and yeah
0: I was gonna say it must be quite the challenge for you to see these costumes and be like oh I've got a lot of work ahead of me to, to try and replicate this but obviously as well you've got the challenge of being that you know, for example, this film, this film's still in theaters. It's, you know, you're taking, you're basically referencing a lot of, you know, trailers, still images from promotions, and maybe the odd uh, uh, <laughs> dodgy picture taken on a phone. But yeah, I was going
1: to say the blurry 3D, like someone took, someone went to see the movie in 3D and took a picture of it with their like 2009 cell phone, and mm. I can see it in the like pixels. <laughs>
0: Yeah it's, yeah, it's quite the challenge you've sort of got for yourself to, to sort of replicate this. But yeah, where where do you even start on a on a on a task like that? So, for example, for your for your Kiri costume, where where did you first start with it?
1: So I went through a lot of trial and error with Kiri because. Initially, I wanted to do the look that she has when she's first uh, learning to swim with the Met Kayina Because actually, until the promotional Im- images were released, that was the only footage that we had of her that was full body. Um, and so that was uh, looking at a lot of really blurry photos um, that were people taking pictures of a 3D movie. Um, and I had tried doing that, but the- because they were photos of a movie screen, there was nothing that was really... The right color. Um, And I do think that color is something that's really important for the Navi costumes even more so than anything else because color is what allows you to kind of gauge whether or not it looks believable on them because their skin is blue. Sometimes when you like have something that's blue on them it looks weird to like our eyes. So I went back and forth with that a lot and then eventually we got the release of the promotional images and the trailer where she is doing her Awa magic powers and um, using the anemones to kill people. And there's a really lovely clear photo of that um, in which I was like, I'm just going to do my best to try to replicate this before the movie comes out. Um, of course, now that we have all of these books that tell me exactly what it's supposed to look like, I have to like change it. <laughs> but i don't know i think my thought process is always if i lived where they lived and i had plants or whatever at my disposal how would i go about creating something like this and then i apply my more practical lens to it of okay i'm a cosplayer i need to be able to wear it for probably 12 hours a day it can't be made out of leaves what can I make that's going to look like that that's going to have enough durability that I can wear it for 12 hours a day and probably have people grab me or step on it
0: yeah so it becomes like a practical sense as well it can't just be about those visuals it has to be something that you physically can wear and yeah I think that's a process that people you know don't think about a lot of the time especially with to do a cosplay because yeah if you go going to, like conventions you, you're in those costumes maybe for a whole weekend uh <laughs> and you want to be comfortable as possible
1: oh yeah well and the amount of times that i've had people ask me if i had painted my whole body for my navi costume which is just insane to me like i know people who have done it who have painted their whole body for it they tend to wear the costume once and then never wear it again because painting your whole body is like a six-hour process mm. um but the the amount of people that have asked me a if i've painted my whole body and then their second response is to come up and like touch my arm to like check
0: like you were lying is... the first time
1: <laughs> yeah i'm like okay <laughs> i'm wearing a suit i don't know what to tell you
0: yeah this is like a i thing guys if a if, if cosplayer just look don't touch cosplayers by the way don't <laughs> if, yeah if they don't want you to please don't
1: i mean i'm happy to let you like touch me if you ask but the like are you wearing body paint and the like arm reaching towards me it's like the beginning of a horror movie
0: <laughs> yeah well because guess what if i was you've just smudged the entire thing <laughs> yeah uh. but that's another
1: reason i don't wear it i like to be able to touch things um without turning them blue mm. um You'd be surprised the amount of uh, body paint experiences I have where I accidentally rub my nose and then whatever was on my nose is now on everything around me.
0: Yeah, that's that's a nightmare waiting to happen, especially with uh, blue. And uh, I can only imagine blue is not the easiest colour either to uh, wash out.
1: Easier than red.
0: Oh, that is true. Yeah, no, that, that is a
1: I also cosplay Shakti, which is even worse.
0: <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I have imagine that one. That that one is quite the nightmare. Uh, so, have you seen like a an uptick in interest in Avatar cosplay since the release of The Way of Water?
1: Oh yeah. So before The Way of Water, I want to say that it was like me and like four other people. In fact, I can probably like on one hand and like can probably come up with their usernames if I really sit and think about it. Um it was not a big space uh which is part of why I think I was so successful within it cuz while I do pride myself on my costumes, I'm not like the greatest cosplayer ever. And there just it was, it was just a niche. There was just not a lot. And now I there's so many more people that are both cosplaying it because, like, they love the characters or just they love the world, but also, like, really skilled, you know, cosplayers that are cosplaying it because it's popular. Which is a thing, and, like, I don't judge them. Like, if you want to cosplay something because it's popular, like, by all means, go ahead. Um, I'm not going to, like, gatekeep Avatar cosplay. (laughs) Um, It's just, it's, yeah, it's a very interesting it's a very interesting space to be in in terms of cosplay because there's a lot of conversation around cultural appropriation with it as well. Um, And so there's two things that I've noticed that happen. Either there's someone who's big enough and has a large enough following already that they're, when they do cosplay from it, they're not deterred by um, a lot of cruelty on the internet um, is what I'm going to call it. Mm. Um, Some of it is, well-meaning criticism, and some of it is just people being trolls. It's hard to tell the difference sometimes. Um, But if they do have a large enough following, they tend to just kind of ignore that and keep going, which is great. Um, I have seen some cosplayers who cosplay it, and then they have a really small following, but because the movie is really popular, their video or their post gets a lot of traction, and they uh, receive a lot of hate. And then they don't post about it or cosplay from it anymore. Um, and it's it's kind of sad to see that happen because there is and there are ways to, you know, cosplay from Avatar and be respectful and be aware of what you're doing, right, mm-hmm. in terms of cultural appropriation and stuff. Um, there's a really huge controversy in the cosplay community surrounding uh, the Met Kaina tattoos, um, and whether or not you should be allowed to paint them on your face um, if you are doing a costume. And I am not Maori, and I do not have say on whether or not it is cultural appropriation. And I personally will not cosplay uh, Ronal or anyone who does have the tattoos for that specific reason because I don't really think it's, personally, I don't think it's appropriate because. Uh, Moko and those cultural tattoos are a closed practice, which is a little bit different from something like hair, which can be considered cultural appropriation, but is also not a closed practice of a specific cultural community, right? Um, and so I've seen a lot of people who do Ronal, who do the tattoos and get a lot of hate for it. And it's, it's a very complicated conversation
0: yeah Um, of course because there and I think it's because there are different levels to it as well obviously there's different aspects to think of and I think you're right in terms of saying there are different elements to consider and cultures that are in play here but yeah you need to be appropriate in what you are showing and displaying and yeah whether it's appropriate for yourself to do it and yeah. this, this is a conversation that both of us feel like we shouldn't be having because obviously we're, we're not the experts on this
1: no um, but i do think i do think as a cosplayer it, it is something i have to think about a lot especially in regards to cosplaying cultures that are heavily inspired by non-white groups mm. um and taking that into account and thinking about that and and then also You know, I'm not the expert on it, but I do try to do my research on the costumes that I am wearing and where the cultures potentially that are inspiring them are from and their background and things like that. So that if someone comes into my comments or something and says, you don't know anything about this. I don't have the, no, I don't know anything about it. I have the, well, I tried kind of remark instead of the, I just went into it ignorant and blind.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a really good point is that for those who are sort of getting into the cosplay... And costume side of Avatar. Yeah, do you know there is there are resources out there to look into to find out where the inspirations were drawn from, to understand a little bit more about those cultures. And if you want to dive in deeper to like find out more about those cultures yourself, you know, speak to the to the people from those communities and those cultures so you can understand it better yourself and understand why those things are appropriate to them and maybe not for us.
1: Yeah. And also, it's just a great opportunity to learn about a culture that's not your own, right? Hmm. I mean, if, if nothing else, one thing cosplaying Avatar has taught me is a lot, a lot about both indigenous and African and Polynesian culture. Um, just because I'm doing research on it so that I'm aware of, you know, what exactly it is I'm doing.
0: Yeah. And, and... what
1: things are and are not cultural appropriation.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a big discussion that Avatar has a lot of the time when whenever Avatar is discussed as well in regards to different cultures, because arguments against Avatar often stem from uh, discussions about uh, cultural appropriation and you know is Avatar uh, you know showing some form of racism of sorts? And I think it's discussions that are worth listening to and and having because yeah, every every opinion can be valid in some way or the other it's worth listening to those different views
1: and i think that's also a big theme of avatar is respecting the voices of indigenous people mm. and i think you know it, respecting their autonomy yeah
0: yeah and i think i think that's the yeah the as you said the, that's sort of like it's big message is you know listen to others and try to understand other people's cultures
1: yeah and it does this, a, I think it does a really great job of it. I've yeah. had some really interesting conversations with um, conservative relatives of mine who are very um, closed-minded. Is what the word I'm going <laughs> to use. Um, and I've talked to them about Avatar, and I've been like, "Hey, you should watch this movie." And you know, you come away from that movie rooting for the Navi, not for the humans, right? you're rooting for the humans i really (laughs) have concerns um but it it really provides some valuable perspective on how we treat other people and the ways in which we can be better and that's why i love it
0: yeah i think it's it's a film about yeah having empathy and it's a film that wants to have empathy for others and i think that's a that's a good thing to have nowadays
1: Yeah, we live in a a rather vicious world (laughs) as (laughs) of late.
0: Yeah, unfortunately so. Uh, So having things like, yeah, like to come together over common shared interests, such as the film avatar, through costume, through language, through just enjoying the film. Yeah, it's nice to have something shared in that way.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I think, I don't know, I just... Going back to the kind of theatrical nature of the film, I think sometimes it's nice to have information imparted in a way that it is just enjoyable to consume. Um, and not everything needs to be a dark, gritty, uh, Oscar-worthy movie necessarily for it to convey a meaningful message.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly what we need nowadays actually as well is is to have those messages st- You know spoke to us and it's not just messages about culture it can be messages about you know global things like climate change it could be about uh whaling it could be yeah all sorts but it's shown in a way which is accessible for a wider group you know it's all well and good an oscar movie coming out but if only you know an odd few thousand people were going to see it because it's you know uh, a dark grim (laughs) telling of of a vicious story but then Avatar is able to get to, you know, 2 billion people. Yeah. You know, I feel like Avatar does a good job of being able to put those messages across.
1: Yeah. And speaking on the whaling note and circling back around to costumes again, this is something that I noticed when I saw the movie last week again, Uh, all of the whaling equipment that they're using, which I think is a really interesting commentary on current whaling practices in our actual earth world has Japanese writing on it Um, and I don't know how many people know this but uh, Japan is and I say this as a deep lover of Japan as someone who's doing my master's and PhD work on East Asian cultures and languages um, I'm not like hating on the Japanese people Um, but Japan is the biggest whaling industry in the world Hmm. and so I think Cameron's choice to have the whaling equipment and clothing and life jackets and things all have Japanese writing on them is very very poignant and again another excellent example of costumes as a storytelling tool it means that the Tolkien whaling the Tolkien killers right are getting their equipment made and imported to Pandora from Japan
0: yeah and I think It's such an obvious sort of like connection to Cameron's own sort of love of the ocean and his desire to sort of save the oceans as best he can. And yeah, to be able to sort of call out (laughs) in in a way to be like, hey, look, whaling's bad. And sorry to say this, but Japan, you're you're the worst for it right now. Um, This is a way of doing it in a way.
1: Yeah. And also speaking of dark and gritty movies, um, there's some really great documentaries about Japan's uh, dolphin, dolphin? Oh my gosh, I can't, I can speak, I promise. (laughs) Um, Dolphin hunting uh, practices that are really interesting. Um, They're very sad and dark and gritty, as I was just saying, but (laughs) if it is something that interests you, it is definitely worth researching because the whaling industry, and I think Cameron does a really good job of kind of pointing this out, is kind of a catch-22 for the people doing it Uh, specifically dolphin hunting Um, dolphins have such high levels of mercury in them because they eat other fish and we dump a lot of mercury into our ocean and the more fish you eat the more mercury you accumulate so actually it's not feasible for humans to eat dolphin meat because it has such high mercury in it that it basically kills us Um, but japan has this huge dolphin meat industry that they're trying to like push the dolphin meat into like their public school food and other things like that because they hunt so much of it that they don't know what to do with it, but people don't want to eat it because it's bad for them. And it kind of reminds me of when in Avatar The Way of Water, they're they're talking about Amrita and they're like, oh it stops human aging. And I'm like, why is that appealing? The the, the premise that you can never die. I don't I don't find that appealing personally. I would not like to live forever. That would be horrible. Um I am very much with the Na'vi on all energy is only borrowed and someday you got to give it back. I would not want to live forever, but I think that that's going to be something that hopefully we talk about a little bit more in the next movie as well, is this concept that if you never died, does your life actually have meaning, right? So again, a Catch-22, they're hunting the tulkun to get the the emrita that makes it so they never age, but is that actually going to help them or is it just going to make them more miserable?
0: yeah and I that that's a plot line I'm really looking forward to see develop a bit because I think it's really interesting when you consider the recoms existing within this world as well, which is another form of extending your life in in some way or the other, although it's sort of from the from the way of water it seems to just suggest that once you become a recom you you're a new person really
1: yeah I love i Korich's character is actually. I really hated Quaritch in the first movie, which I know you're supposed to, but I always felt like he was kind of boring, um, a very two-dimensional villain, which was his function, right? He was designed to be very two-dimensional, but he was one of those things where it's like, okay, you don't really have any reason for me to like feel any kind of anything towards you except for extreme anger because you're murdering people. Um, but in this, in the new movie, I think his character is so fascinating because he's Quaritch, but he's not. And the relationship that he has with both Spider and also just Pandora, now that he is Navi and now that he can plug in in the way that you only can if you have, you know, the crew or the Tahelu, creates such an interesting character conundrum for him. And I, again, going back to the costumes, you can totally see it in his costuming as well. Like, they start out and they're on full gear, right? Shoes floor length, like, uh, full-length pants, long sleeves, which is all good tactical gear and totally makes sense in the context of if you're military, you want to protect yourself from the elements. And as he's trying to uh, hunt down Jake, he's like, oh, we got to go full Navi, right? Eat the food, speak the language. First of all, costumes aside, speaking the language is totally unnecessary. And that was a really moment where I was like, oh, so... So he's, like, decided that he's, like, integrating now. <laughs> he's joining up. Because um, there's no logical reason for them to have to be able to speak. That they have Spider. They don't need to speak Nazi. Um But he also, like, when he says that, and all of the recoms kind of do this to different extremes, they start ripping their pants. Not like they're wearing shorts. Like, they've, like, ripped the bottom of their pants off. Um. Which I think is a very interesting costume choice because I have no doubt that the RDA would provide them with shorts if they asked for it. Um, so they are really like committing to it, right? They're like, okay, we're not gonna waste. We're not gonna get a new pair of shorts. We're going to use the pants that we already have. And we're gonna alter them to be the way that we want. Leaning into the like no waste mindset of the Na'vi, right? And they're not wearing shoes and they're not wearing shirts anymore. They're just wearing their tactical vests. Although I think um, Z-Dog is wearing a tank top because she, I guess, didn't fully commit to the bit and go like tits out for the whole thing. Um, But it, yeah, there's some interesting costume choices in terms of like also Korich mimicking Jake a little bit and what he wears as well. And especially in the motions that they have surrounding reloading their guns and the way that becomes a recurring interaction with their costume piece, right? They run out of ammo and they're like tapping their chest looking for their clip. And that's also an interesting thing because we see Jake do that before we see it happen to Quaritch, And then later we see it happen to Quaritch, And it's again using Props and costumes as a way to be like, look, look how similar they are. Look how they're mirroring each other. And Quaritch's storyline in this movie very much mimics Jake's story in the first movie, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think that's something we're going to see continue to develop as well going forward. Mm-hmm. Depends which way they want to take Quaritch, but it feels like there's uh, hints towards some sort of maybe not redemption, but certainly something else other than just being purely like an RDA crony.
1: Yeah, my friend, when I took my friend to see the movie, we had this really interesting discussion about how we think that the only logical end to Korich's storyline is for him to die. Because he will never be human again, and he can never go back to that world, right? But he also will never be accepted amongst the Na'vi because he's done so much to hurt them, right? How could he find community among them? And where is he going to fit? Because the humans don't really want the Recoms, right? Like, the Recoms are a tool for them. They're not really, like, a. they don't see them as people, I don't think, in the same way. And it's kind of, you kind of get that from, oh, my God, what's the general's name? <laughs> I'm totally blanking.
0: Yeah, I'm forgetting her. is it- <laughs>
1: Ardmore? Is it Ardmore?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and she—the way she talks to him is like she's not—I don't know. It's almost like she's not talking to a person. It's like she's talking to a computer or something. It's very, and maybe that's just military speak, but it—it it felt to me like she was very detached, and she was totally willing to let all of them die, right? Mm. Which not particularly a military mindset. Always, you know, so they're very like protect their own kind of, usually and so i think that's creates this kind of interesting void that Quaritch falls into and and all of the recoms honestly how can they ever find a place to exist and what happens to them after they catch jake like
0: <laughs> yeah mission over like what what's what's the plan
1: <laughs> yeah do they like just go live there
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it does leave a sort of an interesting conundrum for them and i do wonder if this sort of plays out in a in a way which sees Quaritch having to find some sort of redemption, and the obvious redemption is that his one sort of connection to humanity still is through Spider.
1: Yeah, and I love Spider's character as well. A lot of people really hate Spider, but I saw so much of, like, 16-year-old me in him. Like, I don't know. Granted, I don't have near the extent of daddy issues, or... (laughs) trauma or anything like that um but you know there's something really sad in his tra- like he has a very tragic story
0: yeah it's he it's, has it's a no hard family one. yeah like it's a hard one to handle and obviously he goes on quite the journey through this because obviously he goes from being like i don't have yeah like i have no family i'm basically treated as a stray dog to to the people i consider family and, but now I finally have a, a father figure in my life, but they're the worst person ever.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and how do you, as a as a character, how do you, how could you reconcile that as a person? Like, I think his actions in saving Quaritch are totally logical and believable. A lot of people are like, I can't believe the family that he grew up with and he would save the one who killed their son. Well, first of all, Quaritch did not kill Tam It was... Um, the other guy was it? Wayne, was it Wayne Fleet? It was
0: Wayne Fleet. <laughs> God, yep. God damn it, Wayne Fleet.
1: <laughs> um, and second of all, what the Sullies don't see about Quaritch is all of the times that he could have absolutely just committed genocide around Spider, right? Hmm. And chose not to. And so we kind of see Quaritch's character growth. Through Spider's eyes, in a little set, in a kind of sense. Um, and if the only interaction you'd ever had with Quaritch and you didn't know him, right, from the original movie, the only interaction you had with him was in his recon form, he does not seem near as bad of a guy as original Quaritch. So it's easy for the audience who's seen the first movie to look at Quaritch and go, I can't believe you would save him, right? Mm. But you have to remember that spider doesn't have that context he was like what less than a year old at that time he's yeah. not remembering any of that
0: <laughs> yeah and you got to also consider that yeah he's you know this is meant to be his father figure you're always going to have that sort of like underlying thing of being like sure this guy's a bit of an asshole but he's my dad i might be able to change him
1: yeah and i i don't know Oh, and this is, again, back to
0: costumes.
1: (laughs) So Spider's whole character design is meant to kind of mimic Not-V, right? Mm. In the way that he's dressed, he's got the loincloth, he's got the armbands, he carries the bow, he's totally doing his hair to match Jake and not because that's any practical way for him to do his hair. Um, I have a lot of opinions on the choice of them using locks for Jake and Spider, but that aside, (laughs) um, what's I think is really fascinating about Spider's costume design that I don't think a lot of people have talked about is that he actually has a song cord uh, on his loincloth, like all of the other Naughty do. And we see it talked about in the books a lot, the the song cords, because it's obviously a huge plot point in the movie. It's thematic thread, no pun intended, throughout the whole uh, film. But Spider actually also has a song cord and they all wear their song cords on their waist and if you watch the movie again and you notice that you'll be like oh yeah they do all have like a string of beads on their waist um but i think it's interesting that spider has one as well because we so often see that he's not considered navi so is kiri the one making his song chord with him mm-hmm. how is that working and does he sing it in navi right how is that part of his character and i think that's something that, like, kind of sets you up a little bit for the next movie, because you're like, oh, maybe we get to hear more about that. Or is it just a, a nice little Easter egg that Deborah Scott has left for people like me who are obsessive <laughs> to see that he has that, right? Yeah. But it's it's definitely an element that he, that proves that he feels like he's one of them. So much so that not only does he dress like that and have the blue stripes, but he's actively documenting his life in the same way
0: yeah and i think those those like sort of very particular details are what bring this world to life in a way that m- makes it feel so real seeing those intricate details and the fact that they use those those real costumes so even for the the characters who are you know become fully vfx and we see what their costumes feel like in the water we see what they look like when they're in movement and it suddenly all comes to life more than it ever could just being all you know sketched up and then put through a computer
1: yeah and they build the cultures that they're in too. like all of the adult uh met have their i don't remember what they were calling them they look like arm like chest guards or something mm. like Backpack straps, kind of. Yeah. Um, tonowari obviously has one in Tonowari, but Tonowari also has, like, a mantle that marks him as chief. Uh, but all of the adult Metkaina boys have this strap that they wear on their chest. Kind of like how all the Omatakaya have their, like, cummerbund that they wear. And so, like, they all have these coming-of-age pieces of clothing, and they all manifest in different ways. And it's so cool to see it and it it really fleshes out a lot of the background extra characters as well that are un, completely unnamed right You're like oh well, this person is a child and this person is an adult and even though we're never explicitly told that the way that we can tell the difference between a child and an adult is this article of clothing it's made so clear through the amount of times that we see it that we just kind of instinctively know
0: yeah and i think that's something that's vastly improved comparing the first avatar to the, to the new one in which we know that in the first one, a lot of the time they did just end up having to drop in, sort of very sort of plain, I guess, default versions of RV just to be like, we need to fill out the scene, um, but we cannot, we have not got the resources to keep making new characters, uh, so we're just going to put in a few different blanket ones here and there. And uh, but yeah, in in the new in the web water, every character has their own detailing, and I think I think that's just incredible.
1: Yeah, and I love. I love looking at the background characters. I could watch the movie again and just like not pay attention to the main group at all. Just like looking at all the details of all of the people in the background. And we see it a lot more in the Omatakaia too, which I think, like you said, in the first movie we were kind of missing. The only time I can think of in the first movie that the extras and like background characters are really noticeable is really towards the end when we see them at the Tree of Souls with Grace, and when Jake comes back as Makto and when they're visiting the other clans, we get these, like, unique, right, moments of, here's this clan leader, and I'm gonna say, Ikenyi is still, like, my favorite character design, and I've never heard anything about her since, <laughs> and I'm just waiting for her to come back, because red body paint, Ikran Eastern Sea, Olekan is, like, my favorite <laughs> And silence.
0: Yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully, you know what? It's one of those things where it's like you see something in it, just so inspiring to look at. You're just like, man, this is this is something I want more of, (laughs) and I probably will never get more of it, sadly.
1: Yeah. Well, initially they had this. What was it called? It was not Frontiers of Pandora. It was like a mobile game. Yeah.
0: There's the is it Pandora Rising? Mm -hmm. I think.
1: Yeah, they had that mobile game that they were supposed to release, and then they never did. That had. That's another great example of, like, stunning costume design. They did these character portraits that had, like, a little blurb, the character's name, where they're from. And they had these beautiful drawings of all these incredible costumes from all these different clans, pulling into the lore from the Last Shadow Cirque du Soleil show and all of that stuff. And I was like, yes, finally, more world building. And then they never released the game. (laughs) I will always be salty about that.
0: So, um... As we get and then towards get towards the end of the episode, I wanted to ask, is there any like final sort of costumes you want to just like really say to people, hey, please go and check out the detailing off?
1: Pay attention to Tsarea in like the last hour of the movie because she gets this really cute little like tiara thing. And I think it's so endearing and no one has talked about it. I've seen all these people talking about, oh, Natiri's wearing Natayam's necklace when she visits the spirit tree or things like that. And I'm like, no one is talking about Soraya. Soraya has some really beautiful costumes that are kind of glossed over because she's always either standing next to Ronal or Locke. And like, I get it. Ronal is killing it in every scene she's in. But is also doing a mighty fine job, too.
0: Yeah. very underappreciated i would like to say you should all definitely go back and look at grace augustine in her tank top in the first avatar because i think it's funny but she's got a a a personally made tank top for her university i love it
1: oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah no that's the the I, as the leader of the Avatar program, demand that I get a Stanford t-shirt. No one else. Just me. (laughs) Hilarious. Yeah.
0: I I also like to think that she just went on to the site and was like, I'm just going to order the biggest size possible and see what happens. We'll just see if it works.
1: I'm going to get a triple X, a triple XL, and then maybe it will fit.
0: I'll get two triple XLs. And if I put them back to back, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah thank you so much for coming on it's been such a fun discussion i feel like we've gone through costume design and through all other various aspects but it's been so exciting to sort of hear yeah like how exciting costume design can be and how much it can impact story
1: yeah and thank you so much for having me i'm always down to talk about avatar costumes for however long you would like me to (laughs)
0: Uh, and I, i'm sure we'll have you back as well because i'm i'm can only imagine what we're going to see in the, the films coming up as well there's gonna be so much exciting stuff to come to
1: oh yeah and i'm definitely going to be buying frontiers of pandora and playing that if only so that i can see all of the npcs and what they're wearing
0: yeah oh i'd love to see see that sort of because i i do wonder for the new game do you get to create your own character or are you you know is it a set person
1: if i get to like make wear little outfits and stuff that is all i can ask for that is that would that would be my favorite video game there ever was because all i have to do is like dress up as a navi in video games form
0: oh that's what they need they need a sims (laughs) expansion which is avatar
1: i would pay ungodly amounts of money for that
0: (laughs) oh yeah uh, so where is the best place for people to find you
1: uh, the best place for people to find me is on Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube, and my username on all of those is that lazy snail. So if you type in that lazy snail, I guarantee you a photo of me dressed up as a Navi will show up.
0: Awesome! And thank you all so much for having a listen today. I hope you've enjoyed this uh, look through costume design and a little bit of cosplay too. And yeah, speak to you all again soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. This week's episode is dedicated to our patrons Eric Scrock and Patrick Regal. To become a patron, visit www.patreon.com slash avatarpod.